and we are hitting the diamond once again. War on Anchor, War Media, uh, MLB postseason preview continuing on. We touched on the the south side, so we got to touch on the north side because this is a rare year where both sides of town are represented in the postseason. And, uh, you know, just as with, with the Sox, a lot of uh, optimism for that young team. The Cubbies have shown that they have a lot of optimism still as well left with them, a lot of fight still left. It's been a, a tough couple years since the great 2016 season. But, uh, you know, people, you know, uh, they've been able to ride it out. Uh, Rossi comes in and takes over the team. And we got, you know, you know, we got some devoted fans out there and, and few are as devoted as my guests here. My man, Joe Kilgallen, comedian, writer, actor, podcaster, and definitely a big time Cubbies fan. So I'm glad to have you on, man, to talk uh, and help me uh, preview these these Cubs and their postseason chances, man. What's, what's going on? Hey, thanks, Kyle. Thanks for the introduction. Great to be here. Great talking with you. You made some good points at the start. This is a special year in which both sides of the city are represented in October baseball. So that's a cool thing. As far as my Cubs go with keeping the optimism high, I've, uh, I've always kept it because I think this is still a special group. I know 2019 ended in a very lousy way in a terrible month of September. They lost like nine in a row at one point in the month of September. So there was some pain there. And then 2018, just had a, a really weird month of September too, which yeah. is funny to me because a lot of people are like, man, they really choked away 2018. They actually were like 16 and 12 in September, which is only like one game off of like close to a 600 win percentage, which is about a 95 win season, which is what they won 95 games. So they were pretty consistent throughout that year. It's just the Brewers went on such a crazy run where they were like 18 and seven or something. Yeah. And just were able to close a five game gap right there. 19 and seven, something like that. And, yeah, the offense was atrocious. So, yeah, they've kind of been in this weird little limbo of, hey, we have these guys who are still young. Like still, you know, Chris Bryant's just 28. Javier Baez is 26. Yeah. These are still young guys who should be getting even better. But then the last, like, year or two have taken a step or two back. So it's like, all right, do you give up on these guys already and then see them flourish in New York or Boston, whoever scoops them up and then look like a real jerk? Or do you roll the dice again so then there were, there were times this year when the offense was really bad. The Cubs offense was, has been probably they've been boom or bust. One week they look amazing, like this past weekend against the White Sox, they look great. Four games before against Pittsburgh, look terrible. So it's like they're Jekyll and Hyde. Yeah. How important do you think that that series was against the Sox to to pick the team back up and to have like to have Bryant come out and show some heart again and stuff like that, you know, you know, cussing at the media and everything. Like, like it, it seems like this team has gotten some bite back uh, in, in the past couple of days. Definitely. I think that series hopefully is one that we look back on as like a turning point for a, a deep October run because they were, they looked awful, like very lifeless in Pittsburgh, losing three out of four to a really bad team. And in any other year, you just accept that. You're like, okay. There, there are plenty of years where the team that wins first place will lose a bunch of games to a bad team. That's just baseball. Sure. You know, that's just the nature of the game. It's not like basketball or football where the you know, more athletic teams can always dominate. Sometimes you run into a good young pitcher who finally turned it around. 
don't know about you, but like as a baseball fan, I get nervous when my team is facing bad pitchers because you know even the worst pitchers are due for a good game. Yeah. So I kept seeing like, oh, these Pittsburgh pitchers, this guy has given up eight runs his last six outings. So I'm like, well, that means he's due to have a decent game. That's just a lot of averages. Um, the Sox game was a big turning point because the home run that Contreras hit where he did the huge bat flip. Yeah. And he did that where he was looking at his teammates. And he, he said he did that because he was like he was trying to inspire us to, to pick it up, to get it, some life back in. He did it purely for, for his guys. It wasn't so much to show up the socks, it looked like. He wasn't yeah, he wasn't trying to show up Dylan Cease. I think him and Dylan Cease even are like friends because, you know, people forget Cease was part of the Eloy trade and Cease was in the Cubs minor league system kind of around the same time Willie was coming up. Okay, yeah. Contreras probably caught him in a few spring trainings. I don't think he was trying to be disrespectful. I don't think any of these hitters really are trying to be disrespectful to a pitcher unless the pitcher says something. Yeah. Like if like Bauer talks a lot. So when, when someone hits a bomb off of, you know, Trevor Bauer <laughs> and they talk a little afterwards, that's probably personal. But for the most part, it's like what Tim Anderson did last year against, I believe, the Royals. The Royals, yeah. He looked into his own dugout. That bat flip was towards the dugout to be like, hey, let's go. Let's turn this thing around. And I definitely think it worked because the Cubs offense ignited that game. They kind of came together on the hit-by-pitch. Brian comes back the next day, hits a grand slam. He then talks to the media saying, listen, I don't know I don't know if Brian just finally got to a turning point where – because I know I wanted him to be this guy for a while. The guy that's like, I don't care about the Twitter haters and that noise – I know what I'm capable of. I know that I show up to play every day. I care if my teammates have my back or if my teammates respect me. And obviously, yeah, you want the fans to like you, but you have to also understand as a professional athlete that Twitter is just, that's the nature of that beast. It's mm-hmm. instant reaction. It's people trying to hate on you. And I want to train, change that culture. I think that's a bad fan to be. I think those are bad fans. And I think new athletes coming up, like, Kyle, think about this. 16, 17-year-old stud athletes in every sport right now, they're coming up in the social media world. Yeah. Their their coaches will tell them, hey, once you get to a certain level, you got to ignore this stuff. But it's going to be harder and harder for them because they grew up in it. So I wouldn't be surprised. And I know I'm kind of going away from what your original question was. No, no, I, was yeah. talking about that. I was talking about this with a friend yesterday, so it's really fresh in my mind. But I wouldn't be surprised if we're a few years away from a, from a professional athlete saying, I didn't sign with this team or I didn't re-sign with this team because I think the fan base is ungrateful. So that's why I'm piecing out and going to this town to play. I bet, I bet that happens for the next five years where an athlete plays yeah. specifically. Well, you know, I think that impacts guys. That has impacted some guys' decisions before. You know, just, you know, in a general sense, but you get more specific with this, with this social media stuff because – Stuff gets aimed directly at you. You can identify people easier or not identify people in, in some cases because they have some crazy uh, dog in their picture or, their, or something like that. But, you know, but, yeah, it's it's I, I definitely get what you're saying. And, and to that to that end, you know, one thing I want to bring up with you is the the the, the post game recaps you've been doing on Twitter. So, you know. It's interesting that you say that you you'd like to change that dynamic, that player fan dynamic, on online, and you know you've gotten into this whole thing of recording your your immediate thoughts right after the game. So I just want to to get you know 
one you'd explain why did you get into doing that i guess i guess that was maybe part of it and and what effect has it had on the way that you've internalized games and the way that you you know in general follow the cubs throughout the season How, what kind of effect has it had on you as a fan so with no you know with the whole covid thing way less comedy and so as a stand comedian i needed more things to do so i decided yeah, to start sure. doing these cubs post-game recaps it seems I know a few people were doing a few accounts I follow were doing like previews, and then um, David Kaplan here in Chicago was doing post game recaps. Yeah, and so I was like, do I want to do? I, I'll do it my own way though, because there's plenty. Of, so it's not like I was copying off of him. There's so many people doing these things. Yeah, it's like you, you, like you guys are doing the Cubs wins. Home Lawrence Holmes is doing the Sox win. I've like you seen a lot of that this year. Yeah, there's yeah. a few, and, and, I, and I appreciate everyone who does it. It's, cool. it's more content. It's more eyes on the sport we love. Yeah. So I was like, I got to do it a little bit differently. So I'll do the recap and I'll try to throw some fun into the middle of it. Um, David Kaplan, his is really just a recap of the game. Mm-hmm. I try to recap the game, assuming that you've seen some of the game. And if you didn't see some of the game, I'll try to make it a little, I just throw a little humor in there. And then I make more of a suggestion where he kind of was like, we lost seven two. this guy gave up six runs in five innings. So-and-so was over four. And they got to get better. I mean, that's I mean, that's no disrespect to him. He's obviously been in his business a long time, but I, I think I, I like throwing a little more flavor, I guess, a little yeah. bit more um, something. Yeah. And um, <laughs> how has it has it changed the way I enjoy baseball? Um, the Twitter experience is weird because Twitter will, you know, with more free time, like I was saying before, with with lack of comedy, I've been checking Twitter more than I need to be, and you'll see like a lot of negative posts from fans. And what I don't understand, and where it's kind of been my mission to try to change the narrative between fans and athletes is that if the guy's dogging it and not putting any effort and that's clear, sure. Go ahead and be like, Hey, number 25, pick it up. I understand that. You don't want to, we can't be blind cheerleaders. We have to be realistic too as fans, but to straight up trash people who have brought you joy over the last, this has been a great Cubs run of baseball, the golden era of this team's baseball since the early 1900s, really. Definitely, yeah. I just, I can understand being mad and being frustrated, but these fans, Dude, Kyle, some of them are just, they'll go down one nothing. The Cubs will be down one nothing in the first, and they'll literally be like, game over. <laughs> yeah. That's it. I've seen this story before, and I'm like, dude, you're how miserable are you? And I'm yeah. seeing this misery, and it's making me mad. And so, like, I got I, I had to, like, hide a lot of these people. I mean, there's some, I've got some people who post stuff on Twitter that are, are kind of negative, but I, I still respect their opinions, so I keep them around. They're good people. But, yeah, other than that, I'm like, sports are supposed to be enjoyable. If you can't enjoy this, especially a first-place team, it'd be one thing if we were, like, in fifth place and just bad. But this is a really good team who has happened to play super inconsistent throughout the course of the season, but still inconsistent enough to be first-place division champs. Yeah, it could be a lot worse. I mean, that's the the thing. Like, if you're a Cubs fan, you've seen a lot worse. And then then you can't handle – you prove that you you get some success and you can't handle the success. Like it's a weird it's a weird dynamic, you know. That's involved with that. Yeah, it's a super weird dynamic. Maybe it's they're worried that oh, we're gonna go back to being those losers like we were before. But even that, some of that's just some weird fan stuff. I was yeah. I had a friend who was a Royals fan, and when they won the World Series in 2015, he was super happy. But it was funny to him because there were so many people he knew because it was the first time they'd won in 30 years. And they were saying, like, oh, so 30 years. I can't believe it took us 30 years. And he was like, wait a minute. You're 26. So 
Also, you don't remember the first five years of you. I mean, nobody really remembers rooting for a team when they were three. No. How much of suffering have you really done? And he kind of broke it down like, really, it's only been like 17 years for you. And then he was kind of like, do you not enjoy college? Are you suffering during that? Like, yeah, I mean, it's been a bad run, but you can't really. So when I heard, I thought about that too, when people would say for the Cubs, 108 years. I'm like, yeah, but you're not 112. So why is it, it hasn't been 108 years for you specifically? Exactly. I heard 24-year-olds being like, oh, my God, if we go 110 years, I'm like, well, it's, no, it's not 110 for you. It would have been 16, 17 years for you because you're only 24, and how much do you really remember? And they've had some good teams in between. That's the way I view it. I don't know. I just feel like there's so much negative in the world that if you don't try to look for the positive, you're just going to look back and be like, man, I, I see some of these Cubs fans, they're going to be in their 60s, and their grandkids are going to ask them about the 2016 team and all that, and they're going to be like, yeah, I wish I would have enjoyed it more. They're, yeah. they're really going to regret not enjoying it more. And you think out of all the years that we've lived, if, if there's any year that would give you more perspective about these things, it would be 2020. Because exactly. we really shouldn't even be playing these games. And, you know, it's it's a minor miracle, you know, to the Cubs' credit that they're the only team in the MLB who didn't have any positive COVID te- tests. Yeah, so that. Yeah, that's yeah. that's almost, that's a a big victory in and of itself there, and you know I I don't know what, what do you think that says anything about the club about the the organization or anything? I do believe it says the Cubs have some good leadership from Theo Epstein, the president of baseball operations, Jed Hoyer, the GM, and David Ross. I think they all got together, and and I do think this is a tight unit who wanted to redeem themselves from last year, so they took things very seriously. Like, there was a a clip of Anthony Rizzo that went semi-viral from, like, maybe the day before the season opener, where he's walking into Wrigley, he's wearing a mask, and, like, some girl's like, Anthony, and he stopped and waved, but then also pointed to his mask, being like, where the hell is your mask? Which yeah. I thought was pretty cool to see like a professional athlete that's beloved also calling someone out being like, hey, what are you doing? Like, we have you paid attention to the world around you. And, you know, we all would love to play for fans again. But if people are being nonchalant about following rules and protocol, things are going to be, you know, 2021 could be in jeopardy. And we don't want to see that either. So I think they kind of had that mindset. They bought in right away saying this is important. We want this to. We want to get 2020 in. We want this to be a big year. And, the, and David Ross famously said at the beginning of the season, "I don't care if it's a 60 game season. If they're giving out a trophy at the end, I want that trophy." And I think the team kind of bought into that. Hey, let's. And also, Anthony Rizzo's a cancer survivor. John Lester's a cancer survivor. Yeah. Becomes pitching coach had it. He he got COVID toward the end of spring training. Luckily, it didn't spread. And he told the team, no, this is for real. I still feel terrible from it. On the south side, Yon Mankata has said, I still feel effects from it. He yeah. did it early on, too. So I think when you have people like that, because I think the White Sox have done a pretty good job, too. I don't think they've anything in season at all. I know they had a couple little yeah, cases yeah. of it. Yeah, they, they, they have done well. So I think when you have people you know personally who have had it and are like, no, this is for real, it makes you kind of buckle down. And, um, and the Cubs do have a really good leadership there. I might disagree with the owners on some stuff, but I feel like uh, <laughs> overall they do have a good – what's the word I'm looking for? They have a good infrastructure for, like, player safety and protocol and, and following guidelines. They have a really – they redid the whole clubhouse like a couple, like a few – maybe just before the 2016 season. And from what I've heard, it's a clubhouse you don't really want to leave. Yeah. Like, they were saying, like, single guys who, when they got called up from the minors – would hang out there for hours after the game because it has like everything 
you know, probably has a new PS5 already. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, you know, the Ricketts, they, they provide a little refuge from Trump in, in our otherwise blue city, but but you you can't mistake the way that they've approached owner owning the Cubs much more in a big league manner than Tribune did for most of his time, you could say, and and anybody else who's pretty much owned the Cubs. And and there's you know Epstein Epstein I think has done a it, he's he's been allowed to you know sort of uh, revive himself a little bit. I think bringing in Ross was a, was a good move and it's proven to be a, a good move. That is, that is something that can carry the team on for, for years to come. And, you know, if you, you know, if you just want to give your, your thoughts specifically on, on Rossi and how he's done this year, you have, you have to be pretty pleased with his, with the job overall. I've been very pleased with the job overall. I think the big side of a manager, especially a rookie manager is how well they handle the bullpen. And the fact that the Cubs bullpen in the month of September, I believe it, well, they were first in ERA in the month of September, but I think maybe they dipped to second. Uh, I don't even you can probably research that. But anyway, they, were, they became a top three, let's say, bullpen by the end of the season, and particularly the month of September. He turned around Craig Kimbrell's season. He kind of found roles for everybody. Jeremy Jeffers has been fantastic. I, I hope desperately they re-sign him in the offseason. Hmm. I think he had a better sense, and I don't mean to knock Joe Madden because, again, he's, he's clearly a great manager and has done a lot of good, but Madden's biggest weakness was his feel for pitching. Yeah. Madden was good at taking the pressure off a young team. That's why he was so good at Tampa. Tampa mostly had young teams. And, you know, he kind of does like that, hey, let's have a picnic in the outfield today. Let's have <laughs> some zoo animals here. Let's let's dress up on road trips. Let's wear our pajamas to work. Right. He's fun with that. He keeps it loose. And – but his, his choices for lineup construction in the bullpen were a little weird. Now, that's where I give David Ross a ton of credit. He could have easily kept putting Kim, Craig Kimbrell out there saying, this is my $14 million closer. He's done it for his whole career. I'm going to give him some more opportunities. He, took, he yanked him pretty quickly from that role and started doing a closer by committee, which I love to see. Because it's like, let's just match it up. Let's It doesn't have to be defined roles. Let's keep everyone like sharp and pitch them in the, in the situation that they'll best succeed. So that I love right away. He, um, Kyle Schwarber got lazy on a couple plays and I love Schwarber, but Ross yanked him in the middle of a game, which reminds me of how I moved Bobby Cox to Andrew Jones back in the day. And mm. since then Schwarber's looked better at the play and better in the outfield. So, yeah, I mean, everyone was worried about him being best friends with these guys and whether or not they were going to respond. I think if anything, some of these hitters, this hasn't been talked about by the media. Part of me thinks, a lot of these Cubs hitters were having terrible years. I mean, you got four or five guys who are having their worst seasons ever. Oh, yeah. Some of it could be COVID-related and just the weirdness of all the things that are going on. But I think some of it's them. They love Ross so much that they were trying to be amazing for him. And like we know in baseball, if you try too hard, it backfires on you. Sure, sure. And, and when you look at the course of the season, you know, they, they got off to a great start. But there was also there was always issues that were that could creep in the back of your mind. Like early on, the the uh, the bullpen was one of those issues, but they got better towards the end of the season, like you say. And but you know the the hitting though has been shaky still. It's sort of been like a series to series thing. You know they picked up a bit with the Sox, 
and we'll see how uh you know how it goes in in the postseason starting with the Marlins but you know that's still overall sort of a thing we got to see if Bryant can keep it going if 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 Rizzo can could start going if some of these other guys you know how what how the lineups are going to be specifically against the Marlins pitching one thing that I, that I thought was interesting and and I kind of liked about the latter half of the season was that they were picking up talents that can help them in specific ways. Like you say, situationally with the bullpen, that's become more of a thing, but also with the hitters. And you can look at people like Mabin and Hamilton, who they're not going to help you much with the hitting, but they may help on the base paths or they may help with defense and stuff like that. So that, that type of stuff can be very helpful for the Cubs going into the postseason. But, but anyway, looking at the regular season, back in the regular season, you know, what did you think about the way that the season played out in regards to, you know, like I say, they had that time for a week or two where they were, they were sort of shuffling. You know, they were never really worried about the division because nobody else in the division really picked up at, like they did. But there was a time where it was like, man, you know, just how ready is this team for the postseason? But, you know, they looked. At, at the moment, they look a little, a little bit better. Yeah, right now, I, I like what we were talking about earlier because Brian seems to have, like, a, I'm just going to focus on, you know, my team and all that stuff and just block out all the, the noise. Yeah. Uh, Wilson Contreras seemed to really put a spark under the team. They definitely look different the last series, which is nice to see. The season as a whole, I mean, they had that great start of 13-3. and three. Starting pitching was dominant. They were carrying them. I mean, Tyler Chatwood's first two starts were, were amazing. And then they ran into some trouble. I think Chatwood had a rough outing, and then Lester got lit up. And then that series, it's, you know, it's funny. Now that I really look back on it, I didn't realize this until just now talking to you, Kyle, was that a series that sent the Cubs kind of into this weird offensive funk for a stretch. Because, again, we started 13-3. and three. Yeah. Now, I could be wrong on the dates, but it was roughly around the time we faced the White Sox the first time. Now, the Sox killed us that series. And they really, they really, see, that, the thing about that, they, the Sox really needed that series because they was like, they were treading water going up to that series. And you guys was like, yeah, you were doing well, but then it's, you know, sort of flaked on that on that series. And it, the, yeah, yeah, it, it flipped a little bit at that point. The Sox kind of got to a little bit of a rough start. They're maybe 500 ball going into yeah. the They're like 10 and 9 or something going into that series against the Cubs and absolutely lit us up those first two games. I think we went like 8 nothing and 10 to 1 or something. And then we won the third game, close score. Darvish pitched well. But still, after that, we were really scuffling for because we were 13 and 3. And then I think we were like 14 and 17 in our next run. So I remember being like, man, yeah, we are playing a little below 500 since that great start. And then we turned the corner against the Brewers. Jason Hayward hit a really clutch three-run homer in the ninth. Oh, that yeah. We were, yeah, we were down three nothing, and then we won a game. Or three down two nothing. We either way, we were down, and we won a game in the ninth against the Brewers. Then Alex Mills did a no hitter the next day. Yeah. We had back-to-back walk-off wins against the Indians, so we had like a four-game stretch where it was like, all right, great, back to where we need to be. And then we won the first game against the Twins, lost two straight against the Twins, where the offense did nothing. Went to the Brew uh, Pittsburgh. Uh, lost three out of four offense in show up. And then luckily the White Sox series 
things turned around what it seems like. So it's been, it's just a 60 game season. It's just so weird in so many ways. I really don't think guys like Javier Baez and Anthony Rizzo and Chris Bryant are guys who are batting, or they're not 200 hitters. They've never been 200 hitters. And I don't see why they would be in any year. It's not like they're 37 year old guys. I mean, Rizzo's 30, just turned 31. Bryant again, 28 and Javi 27. So I don't understand. It's not like these are old guys. I just think it's just a lot of weird things. You know, when, in other years, I hope listeners could really appreciate this too, because we, we might take this for granted. In, in a regular year, in a 2019, if you're struggling as a hitter, you might say to the guys, "Hey, let's go over to the strip club on Lawrence, <laughs> right? Let's we'll all, we'll all wear we'll put face we'll put like a, a fake beard on so no one can recognize." All <laughs> right. We'll go we'll go to Gibson's, get some steaks. We'll go out on that nice deck, smoke some cigars. Um, we'll go to the casino. Let's just have a night where we just, we, we got an off day tomorrow, so it's okay. Let's just get hammered. Let's get some pop brownies. I don't know. Let's do some crazy <laughs> stuff. And then come on out on Tuesday. We'll be relaxed. And, and I think that's what they do because baseball is such a weird sport because even the best player in the league is going to have like a one for 20. They're going to do that where, because it's such a skill game where I feel like uh, I've told people, I go like baseball is a skill game. So much hand-eye coordination, and hand-eye coordination can slump because there's if your timing is even a little off, you suck all of a sudden. Yeah. But the difference between a home run and a pop-up is an eighth of an inch on your barrel. Or in basketball and football, you know, running backs don't really slump. I mean, if their offensive line all of a sudden has a bad week, sure that can hurt them. But for the most part, you know how to run. You don't have to like, for, you know, you don't have to like re-practice your running mechanics. You know how to run. Right. You know, you don't forget how to dunk if you're like, you know, a good NBA player. Like your sh- your shot might get out a little rhythm, but shoot your way back into rhythm. It's yeah. easier than baseball. There's much less there's less mention of the yips in in basketball than football. You don't really see that. The only yips you could hear in those two sports, basketball and football, is football for a kicker. There's sure. Been great there's been great kickers who all of a sudden just forgot how to kick. Yeah. And then basketball with free throws. Every now and then a great free throw shooter will just put some bricks up where you're in. It's rare. Very rarely does it happen. But those two things are mental. That's what the most mental thing in football is kicking a field goal because you do it every day and it's just the whole world's watching you and it's so easy to screw up. Mm-hmm. Whereas a quarterback going back to pass, you don't have time to think. So I think right now in, in baseball, it's a little bit weird with some of these guys because they're just not in their regular routines because they have to be, that's, again, the Cubs have been super careful about not getting COVID. During COVID-19, you can't see seven guys Go to Paris nightclub downtown Chicago to have some cocktails and look at women because you know they're gonna be like, hey idiots, you're gonna get this disease. Well, this <laughs> yeah, this virus. Yeah, you can't. You, that's, yeah, you really can't unwind like that. You, if any, like I say, anybody catches you, it's gonna be you're on the on the back page of the papers. It's gonna be like, you know, what are these guys doing? And Definitely. and you mentioned too earlier that that 18 season, and I I still remember that vividly. And and I think a big part of that that final run that hurt the Cubs so much was they didn't, they barely had any off days in that last month. Yeah, they did. And it's one of those things where, you know, an average fan might be like, sounds like an excuse, making excuses, but they really did. It was like unprecedented. I don't think any team has ever had, they had something like 41 games, yeah, 41 days or 40 games in 41 days all to end the season. So during that same stretch of 41 days, they had like one off day. The team that caught them, the Brewers, had six. Yeah. That's a huge difference. It's like because Chicago has such 
April. It rained. I think they had like five rainouts in the month of April that year, and then Major League Baseball just scheduled it poorly, where it pushed everything to the back of the season. Yep. And it it it, wind, it winds up a lot like this season, where you have you you scrunching games in, and thankfully the Cubs didn't have to deal with any COVID issues to where they had to play double headers unless they were playing like the Cardinals or somebody who who were, whose season were affected by by the illness. But you know they were they it, it's like I said it's rough man to to squeeze any amount of extra games like that into especially at the tail end of a season where you're trying to conserve energy and keep yourself fresh for the postseason. Like in that 18, by the time they got to that game, what was it, the Rockies in that? that uh, yeah, it was the wild card game. The wild, well, they had the Brewers game, and then that led the, they had to play the Rockies game. They were just exhausted. You could see them in the play. They were you exhausted. Faces yeah, and, that, and they try to do as much as they could to like reignite the team and have fun and stay loose. But yeah, again, I mean, it's it's like any job. If you do a lot of it, you're you're going to be it's it's more of a mental exhaustion than a physical one, where you just start being you just start you just get stiff. I feel like your muscles get a little stiffer, and then and then you start thinking too much. As players, they get into that where they're like, all right, great. We're down two nothing already. We gotta start chasing again, and the offense hasn't been clicking. So then everyone goes up there trying to hit a, a, a home run when they don't need to, or they yeah. try to do too much. When you do too much, you mess up. All that kind of thing. But you know, this year, like it looks like they're in a better situation. They, you know, like I say they they played this uh, a regular schedule for the most part. You know, going into these final games, um, and they get the Marlins now. Uh, they get to play at home as a division winner, which is big. And you know they they have they have three games they get to play at home. They only have to win two of them. And um, you know, first off, though, as a Cubs fan, as a devoted Cubs fan, it, does it worry you any that you play the Marlins because of how random things can be against the Marlins in in the postseason? And of course, the you know the the specific history. That's involved. I'm not going to speak his name, but you know. No, you don't have to. Uh, <laughs> no, no, I don't think that way anymore. There was a time in my life where I might have been like, "Oh no, this is <laughs> something once happened, so maybe it'll happen again." Well, yeah, the Marlins have been in the playoffs twice in their existence and won the World Series both those times. Yeah, I mean, there one that was just weird circumstances. And when I hear stuff like that, I think, well, that's not going to continue forever. So if anything, it makes me more confident. I think they're due to get bounced in the first round, which is what's going to happen. <laughs> I, I really, I really think that way. I, I mean, look, the Marlins have some nice. They're, they got some talent. The young team, they got some solid pitching too. Uh, but I, I like the Cubs pitching better. So I definitely, yeah. I, I think we're going to take. I think we're going to win the first two games, and it'll, it'll be a sweep. Um, which is weird to say to win two games. That's a, that equals a sweep, but that's what I say. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't, I don't put too much stock in what happened before. Could it happen again? I understand why people get caught up in that stuff. Some of it's fun. I remember when we faced the Giants in 2016, the Giants had a believe even. I went up to – I was living in L.A. I went up to San Francisco to see game three of that series of the NLDS. Okay. And the whole thing was the Giants had won the World Series in 2010, 2012. Right, every other year, yeah. So they had they were holding up signs that said believe even, meaning believe that we win in even number of years. I remember just being like, what is that? That's such a weird <laughs> you just got, thing. You just hold on to whatever you can as a I fan, know, you know. I, I get the fun of it as a fan base sometimes, but I'm like, what happens in the odd number of years? Like, oh, <laughs> we don't. 
Odd numbers? Uh-uh. Gross. We don't like that. Like Let's not even try in, in 15 and, and 13. We didn't even try. We take the, we take the year off because we're so tired from all the partying. I don't know. But, yeah, I definitely – when I when I saw that – because I remember people being like, the Giants always win an even number of years. I don't want to face the Giants. I'm like, no, that's not going to continue forever. You think for the whole decade they're going to win in 16, 18, 20? No, that's going to fall apart soon, and this is the year it falls apart. The Marlins always winning out when they make the playoffs – that ends this year too. I don't see it happening. Um, like again, they've got some. Not taking anything away from them, I don't think the Cubs should take them lightly because again, they've got some solid pitching and a few hitters here or there. Overall, the Cubs have more talent, mm-hmm. more experience. Um, I like our momentum going in right now. I like that the uh, again. I feel like they got a little bit of that swagger back after that Contreras bat flip. Yeah, and you can't. You could, You really can't ask for better matchups than having you and 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 Kyle going with the. In games one and two. I mean, that's really what you want if you're the Cubs. Definitely, definitely. That's how you want to line it up. I'm not, you know, if we were facing the Reds, I'd be a little bit more nervous. But uh, the Marlins were the team I wanted because I wanted the team to get a little momentum. You know, have a. I'm not not saying they're easy again, but I just felt like that was uh, just mentally. I feel like as a player, you're not as like, oh shit, we face this guy, this guy, this guy. I think they respect the Marlins pitchers, but I feel like they're going to go with a little more confidence and that confidence can create some momentum, which I want. Yeah, and, like, you know, I unlike those previous two times, especially in 03, like, they really had – they had a lot of youth back then, but they had great youth. Like, I don't know – I'm sure they, they, they got some great players now. I don't know much about the Marlins at, right now, but this is really, like, out of nowhere. And they are really a team that – if they didn't extend this post this postseason, they would not be there. So, yeah, they wouldn't. So yeah, I, Don Manley's done a nice job because they had to battle the COVID stuff, which some of that could have been their own fault. I don't know. You know, they're in Florida. Yeah. I don't know where they're where they're partying with who. <laughs> I, I mean, I know Tampa didn't have that problem. They're in Florida as well. Yeah, um, true, true. It was interesting. Tampa players. The one Tampa player was from. Pennsylvania or something like that. He goes, it's such a night and day thing here. I go walking around the streets in Pennsylvania wearing a mask and everyone, no one says anything. I'm wearing a mask down here and everyone's like, take the mask off. Because they, they were, they were so, they thought COVID was such a conspiracy in Florida. Yeah. It wasn't a surprise that they got hit hard. You know, not that you want that. But uh, I definitely think um, the Marlins, look, those, the 03 Marlins team had, they were a wild card team, but that's only because they started the year so terribly they had Juan Pierre and Luis Castillo. The, I, the sad thing, I saw them in spring training because my uncle lives down in Fort Lauderdale. And in spring training that year, we went to visit. We saw them face the Cardinals. And I remember coming back to school, my senior year of high school, and telling everyone, this Marlins team was pretty legit because they had those two speedsters up top in Castillo and Juan Pierre. Their 3-4-5 was Pudge Rodriguez, Mike Lowell, and Derek Lee. Well, yeah. They had some players, man, yeah. The only thing I thought that could have done damage against them was a left-handed like good left-handed starting pitching because they were so right-handed heavy. I mean, Pierre was a switch hitter, but they, um, they – well, I guess a good lefty would light them up a little bit. But I felt like they um, they just didn't – the Cubs didn't have enough. Once that, once that offense got going because they had so many similar hitters, they were just going to carve you up. Yeah. You know, if you have, like, guys like that – because then the next hitter goes, oh, he's throwing sliders away against this righty, I'm a righty, I'm going to ignore that pitch, make him come inside, and then light him up. And that's what they were able to do. They were a great fastball hitting team. So that's why they were able to come back against Kerry Wood and Pryor. Although Pryor really just kind of was the eighth inning. He was 130 pitches. That was just different back then. Yeah. That. Like, you know? Yeah, definitely. 
They don't. They pitches do not get worked like that anymore. Definitely. No, you, the manager would get fired before the game was over if someone hits 130 pitches in today's game. Right. Right. Yeah. Looking at looking at how things are going to be. Of course, you know another big element of this postseason is that after these series, everything's going to be in these sort of bubbles and uh, you know neutral sites going forward out. On, uh, in California and Texas. So the Cubs, their path potentially will lead them to Houston in the next round. They'll play either the winner of Atlanta and Cincinnati. And if they make it past that to the NLCS, they'll play in Arlington, Texas, which is also where the World Series is going to be. So like, I, it, for me, it, it, I just think about how like in 16, how different it would have been if they won that series in if they won the NLCS in Arlington that night and if they won the World Series in uh you know they won it in Cleveland of course but if if they would have played those games instead of playing uh in front of the those Wrigley crowds they would have played in front of empty stadium in Arlington like how different that would have that whole experience would have been like for you as a Cubs fan you know of course you know we all know how great it is to watch games at Wrigley and to see a postseason game at Wrigley is, is a whole other thing. Like, what do you think that effect is going to be on the postseason? I think they're kind of used to not playing in front of fans right now. I mean, MLB is talking about like letting the players' families be there. So what is it going to be wives and seven-year-old you know, sons and daughters in the crowd. I mean, I don't really know if that feels like a crowd. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think it, I think it's an individual player basis. I think Javier Baez is a guy that I've, I've heard a few people mention. He feeds off the energy of the crowd. And with no crowd, he's having a bad year um, because he's such like a react guy. Because he's a super, he's a, Jason Edwards is a super smart guy. So sometimes the guys who are really smart overthink. And, you know, like I've, I think I've said throughout this whole podcast, don't think too much, you'll hurt the ball club. Yeah. He can't he can't review you know game footage during the game anymore. They're not letting players do that because the whole Astros cheating thing. So he's kind of being more like in like a Zen state where it's like, all right, I don't have these tools that I was using the last two years, and I just got to go up there, see ball, hit ball, and because of that, I think Hayward's having a better year. So it's kind of like a, it's weird who's having good seasons and who's having bad seasons. Um, as a fan perspective, it kind of sucks that we can't be there to watch them. I've gotten used to. It. I'm glad at 16 it was different. The same regard, though, I've been harping on Cubs fans this season because they've gotten that "woe is me" if we go down one nothing. In 2015, when the Cubs faced the Pittsburgh Pirates in the wild card game, it was in Pittsburgh. I was glad it was in Pittsburgh. Uh, I, had a lot of, I had a lot of friends being like, "What? You wouldn't want this game at Wrigley?" I go, "No," because the way Cubs fans have been over this last decade, say say the leadoff guy gets, you know charges into one, hits a home run. Which happens, even great pitchers every now and then you make a mistake pitch to start the game. You throw a fastball 95 right down the middle just to open things up. You don't think he's going to swing. He puts a charge into one, one zip. Say that happens, the whole uh, that whole stadium would have gone quiet and acted like the game was already over. Because there was that mentality. Yeah. I don't think that was all Cubs fans. I definitely think that was like a Wrigley Field fan. Because sadly, a lot of rich businessmen who don't know a lot about baseball will take a lot of <laughs> seats. And then you got a lot of other fans who are just like... I don't know, anger there. And then the, the, you know, the diehard fans who try to do the believe no matter what and understand the game of baseball, they hated being around those people. So they stopped buying tickets. I know I, I'm, I'm in a minority. I hate sitting in the bleachers as a Cubs fan. 
I have a lot of Cub fan friends who are like, you don't like Sons of Bleachers? I'm like, no. You all these jerks, idiots who took a bus in from Iowa. <laughs> no offense to Iowa. My mom's from Iowa, lives there right now. But they come in from, uh, and they got these other frat boys who were new to Chicago because, you know, they went to DePaul or some Big Ten school and decided to move into the big city. Yeah. And they fill up all the bleacher seats, but they're not there for the game. They're there because it's a good photo on Instagram, and maybe they'll meet a future girlfriend or something like that. Yeah. And I've dealt with them. <laughs> Dude, I've, I've almost gotten to like two legit all-out fistfights in the bleachers with so-called fellow Cubs fans. They just didn't quote everyone listening to the audio. One time, a guy, me and my friend were like right beneath the scoreboard. And so I'm like a step below my buddy because, you know, we're like along the back fence because it was like a, it was opening day. And this dude, there's people behind us like going up this other side. This guy yells between us. We're like, me and my friend are like shoulder to shoulder. And he's trying to talk to his friend. So he's yelling through us to talk to his friend. And I was like, buddy, what are you, come on, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> you're yelling through human beings to get to someone else. You don't see how rude that is? And he was like, ooh, and he's like mumbling some shit. And I was like, and I literally said, get the fuck away from me. <laughs> I go, get me, no, seriously, that's the worst thought. I lost my mind, dude. I was, I started like unleashing on him. And then later he like, you know, came up, thought I was the bad guy, I'm going to apologize. And I was like, hey man, I didn't mean to lose it, but think about it. You did the human being equivalent to falling asleep at a red light. I give a nice little beep. And instead of being like, oh, I'm sorry, and driving the speed limit, you went extra slow on purpose. That's right. how I viewed that kind of behavior. He was being rude. I called him on his rudeness. And instead of being like, sorry, my mistake, he doubled down on his rudeness. So then when I said, get the fuck away from me with those, I'll throw you down these bleachers eyes that I can have sometimes, <laughs> he, he, you know, he, he, I put him in his place. And maybe that's a mean thing to do. But sometimes you need that in society. Nobody got hurt and he learned a valuable lesson. Don't yell through other human beings to talk to someone else. That's rude. Right. You could have walked over to your friend and explained yourself. Or you could say, hey, sorry, guys, I just got to can I yell something to him real quick. I don't know. There's just a lot of ways you could handle that. I don't think I think those fans like me stopped liking the bleachers because it got filled with people like that. I, I understand. I just, I've never sat in the bleachers at Wrigley, but yeah, it's definitely uh, I, I, I've definitely heard, heard some stories. Yeah, yeah I, I kind of I want to do it once, but it's like. You know, yeah, like you say, there's it's so many it's so many variables out there, so many people who are out there for different reasons, for the experience or whatever. And it's like, you know, come on, man. Like, yeah, I, mean, I started going from the tangent just then, but I, 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 <laughs> I that was a good story, man. I, I like that. I think you're doing a service for others who haven't been in the in the stand. Like, you got to learn how to, you know, it's sort of like how. You just gotta learn how to conduct yourself. It's like the kids who, who are putting up these these uh, shirts with the gang logos on it now because of Nick Foles. Like, it's like, you know, oh God, yeah, yeah, don't, yeah. Like, you know, you, you don't want to wear that in every area of the city. You know, you you, you want to, you know, you, you want to know a little bit more about the city than that if you're gonna yeah, uh, try to market these type of things. I saw that right away. I was like, ooh, yeah. <laughs> Philly did it too. I think they insured that in Philly, but I don't think I don't know if Philly's. If well, Philly doesn't have any black disciples, I don't think yeah, so. Yeah, I don't think well. they have um, the same gang yeah. representation. Chicago's very unique with our gangs. Um, like you know, when I travel around the country, they go, "We got that the Bloods and Crips." I'm like, "No, <laughs> no, 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 we don't. No. We got disciples, we got Latin kings, but yeah. we don't have." Yeah, that's that's like the standard. That's that's the default gang thing we talk about, especially black gangs. But no, we have our own stuff here, and unfortunately, but and and you and you have to be knowledgeable of that stuff. Like, 
you know, wherever you, wherever you're dealing with, even on the on the north side, you know, you got some guys up there with some stuff too. It's like it's not just on the south side, but you know, yeah. But uh, <laughs> no, I definitely yeah. You got to educate yourself on some new things to do. I, I think like there are a lot of great Cubs fans at Wrigley Field, and I think Wrigley Field's like one of the best places in the world. I love it. I, I miss going to games there. Yeah. Um, but I think when it when it comes to years that they've been super competitive i think that culture changed after they won it all in 2016 for a few years it was a short honeymoon but then after the the way 2018 ended because i was at the wild card game in 2018 and and we lost an extra innings two to one to colorado you know everyone walked out of their heads low and sucked. Yeah. but during the game fans were were great and into it but i noticed starting after that going through 2019 and, and a lot of 2020 Granted, there are no fans in 2020. I'm just talking about what I see online on Twitter and on Facebook and stuff. The fan base is definitely, it's, I don't know if the expectations got so high that now that things are dripping, they're, you know, dripping is not the word I'm looking for, like, uh, <laughs> dropping down a bit, I guess. Uh, I think they're just, they can't handle it. And they become like angry and bitter again, where anytime one little thing goes wrong, they say, here we go again, which is weird to say, here we go again. We've been in the playoffs five of the last six years. We're division champs again. The World Series was only 2016. Yeah. So for them to all have this 1908 mentality again is so disheartening to me. Yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be interesting. And, you know, in the to see how, you know, to see what, what effect this year will have overall and what the success is. What you know if if you guys some if if the Cubs somehow make another World Series, what type of effect that will have on the fan base, or or if you get there and don't win, you know, because we haven't seen that yet. We haven't been, we haven't got close and not made it. So it's like that could be that could have a big effect too. And it's you know at what I was thinking about coming into this talk with you is that overall I think the Cubs turned a good corner because like you said, things were trending down a bit through 18 and 19, but the Ross hire worked. You got, you still got youthful talent, like you say. And I think they're, they're all responding well to Ross, whereas things were sort of breaking down with Madden. They were sort of tuning him out, but now you, you there's a new energy, a new old energy, you could say, because, yeah. It's sort of recycled from 16 where they you still got a lot of the same guys and they could draw back on their previous success and go forward knowing that like we know we got what it takes to win we just have to do this this and this and this i think that's a good thing you know regardless of how the fans are going to react to anything i think in that clubhouse they're in a good space but you know we, we got to see how it'll play out on the field and you know hope hopefully it'll be for the best yeah, I, I agree with everything you just said, that new old energy. And and to some naysayers out there, I don't think Cubs fans and the Cubs themselves should just be like 2016, 2016, 2016. We don't – you know, some people are like, you don't want to turn into an 85 Bears situation. Although the 85 <laughs> Bears are great, I don't think the problem was the 85 Bears. The problem was they never figured out that formula again. Right. And, and things have changed in baseball a little bit since 2016 where teams are starting to go back towards more contact-oriented offenses – which I think is smarter, um, but the whole the, the clubhouse presence, that mindset, that that uh, that looseness that the Cubs had in 2016, where they were working hard and had each other's backs and all that kind of stuff, those little things that may not show up in a box score, 
that they did really well in 2016, I think has come back in 2020. And I think that that new old energy, like you said, is exactly what this team needed after missing the playoffs entirely in 2019. Yeah. yeah. So in, in the end, it's, it's just great to like – I was talking with my guy Chris yesterday about the Sox. Like, it's just great that they're in the postseason. You know, the Sox, of course, a whole different situation. They took 12 years for them to get back in the postseason. Cubs is not the same. You know, they're drawing on a continued era of success. They're still in a good era of success, but this season, I think, really reinvigorated the club and and it allowed them to sort of reset in some ways. That's that's good. But just to you know, for them to get into the postseason, for them to have won the division and play like a contender throughout the season, like they know they can be. You know, it's, it's got to be a good thing overall. And, you know, the expectations, I think, are more for the – there are more expectations for the Cubs as compared to the Sox, of course. But, you know, they – you know, I, it, even if, if, if something happens and they fall apart before the World Series, you know, you, you like I said, unless you're just a stuck-up fan at this point who, who just can't uh, deal with success – you shouldn't feel bad about this team going into 21, regardless of what happens. Yeah, you shouldn't. I, I mean, you're in the playoffs. You a nice little run. Great. I think, um, yeah, unless they completely get rid of a bunch of players and don't really adequately replace them, I think like that, then, yeah, I guess you can. But I definitely think you should go into it feeling pretty good about where they are. Because the, the farm system's getting a little bit better, too. Yeah. It's hard to tell exactly, though, because there wasn't any minor league baseball action. But what I've heard from certain people that there's some there's stars coming back up. Yeah. There's a little bit of a lull. The Cubs had like a couple of years there where it's like, ah, our farm system's looking a little depleted. There's some guys at the lower levels. The guys at the lower levels are starting to come through the ranks a little bit better. Uh, the Sox, though, I mean, as a Sox fan, to, to give you guys some encouragement, I think you guys have a nice long run coming your way. Um, he's got to t- maybe to add another pitcher or two yeah. there a little bit and just get some experience. That's why I think this playoff run, no matter what happens for your the White Sox you have to feel good because this was about getting experience. The 2020 White Sox remind me a lot of the 2015 Cubs. Oh, right? yeah. I think about that often, man. Yeah. And, and before you, that, it was the 2009 Blackhawks to me. Yeah. The year before you win it all, that, that year of getting experience, winning a playoff series, and kind of building off that and then knowing, oh, yeah, we belong here. Yeah. Because there's a lot of teams make the playoffs, and there's still a little bit young teams. They're like, are we a playoff team? Do we do we belong here? Because I'm looking at a playoff field that includes big superstars and we're just, we're the new kids on the scene. Do we belong here? Then they get a little confidence by winning a series, making some noise, and then they carry that into the off season. And then hopefully your front office uh, makes a move to put you over the top. Definitely. And, and the Sox up 3-0 now in Oakland. So they, they, this they're playing. Yeah. I, I just glanced and saw that they're up three, nothing. I do not know how any, Major League Baseball team pitches a lefty against the White Sox. <laughs> That's, yeah. What was Oakland thinking? Like, did they, the Sox notoriously crush left-handed pitchers. What do you, what do you get about 14 and 0? <laughs> it makes no sense to me why they would do that. Um, I think, I think, I said it yesterday. I think, I think they just wanted, if they were going to give up a game, it was going to be the first one. Because they were at home, they probably were like, okay, let's take this risk in this first game. We got more experienced pitchers on the back end. They're probably expecting to play a third game in this series, so they wanted they want to get the youngest pitcher out the out the gate and get them out the way. 
this was a good matchup for the Sox too. Matt Chapman, Oakland's best hitter, best player, yeah. is out. So yeah, I, I can see the Sox taking two out of three and winning this one. Yeah. I just would if any any team going forward though, I just don't understand how you would feel confident for putting a lefty against this this lineup. They kill lefties. I mean, I was looking at John Lester's numbers today. If you Lester finished the year with like a five point something ERA, if you remove his two games against the White Sox, his ERA is like low threes. Oh wow. It's that, yeah, because he gave up seven earned runs against you and then like eight earned runs against you in his two starts. It's 15 yeah. earned runs over 12 starts. And yeah, so many people are like, Lester's done. I'm like, well, like, done facing the White Sox for the rest of his career, I hope so, because <laughs> that team just kills lefties. If you, if you remove those two starts, he actually had a pretty decent season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it, it, that's, it's crazy how much the game, and because you had so many less starts this time, you know, you get you know the the numbers are get affected. But speaking of the pitching numbers, though, you think uh, you think you's gonna come away with the uh, with Cy Young? He absolutely should. I um, I tweeted uh, someone. I didn't do this, but someone did like stats, like a bunch of uh, you, Bauer, and Degrom all side by side, and like the yellow indicated league leader in each of those stats. And it was a good ten stats that I think any baseball fan would say, "Oh yeah, those are big pitching stats." And you led in like seven of the ten, and Bauer mm. led in like two or the other two or three. And I mean, Degrom led in one. Degrom had like strikeouts. If you, and if you go by WAR, then it's definitely you, Darvish, is your Cy Young winner. And then a lot of pe- people say, "Well, WAR is not a perfect stat." All right, sure. Well, then what are the other tie-breaking stats? I, I you know, FIP. Um, yeah. That's more indicated than your ERA, because like ERA. You could have a good defense behind you. They'll save you some runs here or there. And that's what has helped Bauer. Because Bauer actually has a low betting average on balls in play. So he has two of those stats, which a lot of baseball you know, nerds, myself included, will tell you that those are stats that are kind of lucky. Mm-hmm. You know, like not to knock a White Sox guy, because, you know, as a Cub fan, whenever I say anything negative about the White Sox, people give me shit. Dylan Cease, to me, is the guy who's been incredibly lucky this year. If you look at his advanced stats, you look at his regular stats, you're like, oh, three ERA, that's pretty good. If you look at his advanced stats, this is a guy who should have an ERA of about six. The White Sox have played very, very good defense when he's on the mound, and the walks haven't come back to bite him. Right. So there's certain stats like that that over the course of a full season will end up evening out. Well, you know, if this was a regular season, I think people would be like, oh, yeah, this guy needs to work on some stuff. Bauer's a great pitcher, so he's not really in that classification. But you, Darvish, has the better overall stats. But I'm nervous he's not going to get it because I think Bauer just gets so much press. Every 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 other uh, every other excuse me publication I've read seems to think that Bauer is easily the Cy Young, and I don't understand why. He has one stat over him; it's ERA. Hmm. Every other stat, for the most part, Darvish has walks per nine inning, uh, strikeout to walk ratio, strikeouts per nine inning, innings pitched. He has more of and innings pitched is a big one. Um, especially in a short season, it means you're doing less damage to your bullpen. You're staying in longer. Yeah. Uh, Bowers also had less inherited runner score, which means when Bauer does lead with a couple runners on base, those guys aren't coming around to bite him in the ass, which is a big deal for pitchers. That's a weird stat that I always get would get annoyed. Some bullpen pitcher comes up, first pitch he gives up is a three-run homer, and those two runs are charged to the previous pitcher. I get why. The, that bullpen pitcher and put them on base, but right. like, you fucking loser! You just made his outing <laughs> look worse because <laughs> you suck, you know. Yeah, yeah. It, it's I guess that that gets into the whole thing about it being a team game in the end, and you gotta, you know, even though there's so much that's individual, 
about the the individual bad bats and stuff. You you still your effect your actions affect other people on the on the field. You know when it comes to comes down to it. So yeah, yeah. And, and well, what I was gonna say about um oh yeah with when you talk about you know the hype with Bauer, you know that's the thing with these uh these awards like because the writers are giving them out and stuff. Some so many times writers fall into narrative, you know, and you know it, it, that that stuff can affect things too much sometimes. And you know that's when we get into the whole argument about who should be voting and who should you know what who should really control these things. But you know, I, hopefully they'll recognize you because he's he's just been really he he's had a, a great story himself. I mean, you look at him coming back from you know injury and coming back from. You know, going back to 17 when he had that bad World Series, and he's really just reestablished himself as an elite pitcher now. Yeah, because we found out the Astros were cheating. So I think it's <laughs> yeah. another thing about the 2018 season. The Cubs didn't make any real changes from 2018 to the 2019 roster, and people were like, well, that's stupid. And I'm like, well, I don't know. If I'm through off I'm looking at a team that won 95 games. They had that weird 40-game stretch that we talked about. Yep. Chris, Bryant missed, Chris Bryant missed 60 games that year. You got zero out of you, Darvish. If you have a healthy Chris Bryant and you, Darvish, contributing like he should, the team wins like 108 games. Like that—that's how much better that would have been if they would have had those two big stars contributing. Yeah. You know, Darvish was awful. I think a lot in part, and this doesn't get talked about enough. He was trying to fix a problem that didn't exist. He thought he was tipping his pitches, and that's why the Dodgers were lighting him up because in his brain, nobody kills these pitches off me like this. How did they know? And then he later finds out, oh, they were cheating with video technology. It wasn't anything you were doing. Right. And then that whole 2018 season, he was awful because, again, he's trying to fix a problem that didn't exist. He then found out, oh, they're cheaters. It made him go, oh, wait, I am still awesome. It relaxed him. It got his mind right. And since the second half of last year, he's been the best pitcher in the National League and one of the best pitchers in all of baseball. Yeah. It's to it show you how much it's how much of the game is in the mind, man. It's, it's, it's big, man. It's big. But man, oh, Joe, man, just love talking the game with you, man. Really appreciate you us making some time with me. And um, you know, before we go, man, just uh, if you could just you know, we'll speak to you a little bit about you know your career and stuff and what's going on. Like you, you know, you mentioned earlier about the effect that you know COVID and has had a, on the pandemic has had on performance, you know, being able to perform and stuff. I I saw you able to do like one thing, like on a rooftop or something like so earlier in the summer, but yeah. So I've been releasing, I, I did like a mini documentary August yeah. 7th. August 7th was my first night back of doing comedy after five months off. So I had my buddy, James Webb, uh, who owns or owns, or like I guess owns, the People of Comedy Podcast Networks. There's a lot of great podcasts on there, everyone. When you're not listening to Kyle's podcast, do check out those. Yeah, <laughs> I'll let you plug your stuff in, in, at, at the, yeah. before we go he, off. Uh, he uh, followed me around with a camera and just documented the whole night. I, fortunately, my first night back, I got to do three sets. Laugh Factory had just opened, so they were booking comics for both not shows. So I did the 7 p.m. at Laugh Factory, the 9 p.m. at Laugh Factory. And then in between, I got asked to do a rooftop show at Joe's on Weed Street in Chicago. Okay. So I was like, oh, this is cool. I'm, I got a little nervous. I'm like, I've been counting five months. I'm doing three sets in one night. And then I had the idea, well, let's let's document it. And I've been releasing them as like mini documentaries 
I released uh, part one and part two already. So that's on my YouTube channel. That's youtube.com slash Joe And um, when I get off the line here with you, Kyle, I'm going to go finish up uh, editing part three, which will be up uh, by Wednesday, uh, September 30th. So that'll be three parts. That'll be like part three is at the conclusion. And uh, basically with, what's going on is, you know, with, without stand-up as often as I'd like, I've been trying to focus on like other things to create content I'm not a fan of Zoom comedy, so I'm not doing that whole thing. But I've been, you know, I got my own podcast, the Joe Kilgallen podcast, which I just kind of, I used to call it Kilgallen's Pub. I changed the name for easier search engine optimization. Okay. I wonder why you changed it. I, I like Kilgallen's Pub. I still like Kilgallen's Pub, too. And if I do shirts, it'll say Kilgallen's Pub. When I start the podcast now, I say, welcome to the Joe Kilgallen podcast, a.k.a. Kilgallen's Pub. Sure. It still stays there. But you know what it was, dude? My stand-up videos on YouTube were doing great. And then I'd post like a clip on the podcast. And the clip from the podcast were super funny. You know, I'm editing them down where I'm like, oh, this is a good four-minute like little conversation that I think every other line is funny. I was posting funny stuff up with like all sorts of Chicago comedians and nationwide ones. And those weren't doing that well. And I'm like, why are they not doing well? I don't get it. People not know this is me, I, so I started thinking to myself. I need to make it more where people who are on YouTube are like, "Oh, I know his stand-up. Maybe I'll then check out his podcast." Okay. Because I think they weren't. I don't think they knew exactly what was Kilgallen's pub or why they should listen to it. I think that was part of the brilliance of Joe Rogan's podcast. People knew exactly what it was. They're like, right. Oh, that's this guy. So just an extension of what you get from him on the stage on a in a different setting. Yeah. Yeah, so I just did it for like a branding purpose, but it's still the same podcast. I, I try to create bar conversations, so like the same silly stuff and sometimes serious. So both, because, you know, when you're at the bar with your friends, you could have some deep conversations. You could have some Definitely. complete <laughs> ridiculous conversations. And then I also recently, two episodes in, I just started what I'm te- temporarily calling a Cubs pod to be named later. Um, it's, it's just about the Chicago Cubs. I'm really amping up my Cubs content because I've been getting a lot of love from Cubs Twitter and people like I, I had a couple days last week where my Twitter following went up by like 100, 150 people, which is more than I get from stand up on Twitter. So mm-hmm. I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to make Twitter my Cubs hub. And I even made a post. I made a tweet saying, hey, if you follow me for my stand up comedy, go to TikTok, go to Instagram, go to YouTube. But just so you know, I'm going to admit this is going to be a lot of Cubs stuff. I'll have some regular random tweets in there too about some observations. But you're gonna get an eighty percent Cubs out of me, and if you want to unfollow me, I totally respect that. And that's and I told people I only lost a few followers after saying that, and there were people I was friends with anyway, and they're just like, I don't like the Cubs. I'm like, that's fine, I don't care. I really don't. <laughs> I, it doesn't bother me because I know for every one of those people I lose for my Cubs tweets, I'm gaining three more. So, right. And at the end of the day, is I love stand comedy, but who knows what the future holds with that? Sadly, so I want to, you know, get some backup plans and. My passion for the Cubs, if I could turn that into somewhat of a career, uh, who knows? Maybe I'll get my own show on the Marquee Network where I try to hype up Cubs fans. That, I'd love to see that, man. Look, you can talk and you know you know what you're talking about. So, that, you know, if you didn't, I wouldn't put you on my stuff. So, you know, yeah, you, you could go a long way just by being, you know, an analyst, you know, being an honest analyst who can also be entertaining, you know? Thank you. That's what that's what I try to do. I try to combine a little humor with uh, some analyst, um, some you know, some analyzation. <laughs> I try to combine the two. So yeah, right. if, you, if the listeners who are watching, you check out the podcast or check out my Cubs um, recap videos. I always try to throw something funny in there. 
like just to mix it up, you know, that way it's just not straight. You know, here's why he pitched terrible. You know, I feel like you got to remind people that sports are supposed to be fun. So Definitely. I can combine those two. And I appreciate the, the kind of words, Kyle. It's really cool. I know I can be long-winded, obviously. <laughs> nah, man, you're great. You're great, man. And, you know, like you mentioned, you know, having to pause so much in between your stage, you know, your stage set, you know, what is the outlook looking going forward with, with that stuff? You know, cause I, I know just uh, yesterday they talked about opening more of the bars and stuff here in the city. I don't know how much of that effect is going to have on stand-up settings. You know, some, you know, I know a lot of, a lot of you guys do sets in proper bars, but you also have clubs that act, you know, that have bars in them and stuff too. You know, what what is what do you think the out uh, the outlook is going to be going forward for the at least the next few months? I think the outlook. I mean, I think things are getting better. Laugh Factory's open, Zanies is open. I believe Comedy Bar is. They changed venues. I think I don't really know what's going on with them, but these clubs are opening back up in Chicago at a much smaller capacity. Yeah, and. Um, the stage time isn't as frequent, which is really what's hurting. So I've talked to comedian friends, and we've all just kind of accepted the fact that 2020 as a year of comedy development is kind of cashed. Mm. And, um, and and that sucks. It's awful. It's okay. Like me, I need a lot of stage time to develop the material. You know, I, I come up with the joke, and then I go on stage, and I kind of write on stage. That's how we kind of refer to it in the biz. I don't really go pen to paper. Some comedians could just go to their desk and sit there and stare at paper for an hour or so and write. I need the inspiration. I need to go on stage. I, I feed off the energy of the crowd, and that puts me in a mode of where I, I write. A lot of my jokes were just like a little one-line thought that I turned into a five-minute bit just from feeling it off the audience. That's sure. Where my improv background comes into like my stand-up writing. Those worlds kind of combine. And if I'm not getting consistent stage time, it's hard to really come up with a lot of stuff. Now, I've been going up a little bit more here or there. Um, I got some Laugh Factory sets coming up in two weeks. I'm doing this club in the suburbs called CG's and October 9th and 10th. And I did Zany's a few weeks ago and Laugh Factory as well. So I'm coming up with some new things here or there, but, you know, I, it's it's just slow going. Um, but it's not dead. Sam County's not dead, and it will be back. It'll be back full force. I just don't know exactly when that's going to be. Um, I have been encouraged by some of the signs of, you know, again, some more bars opening. But some of these bars, I think, are going to be a little bit hesitant to bring stand-up back because they're just thinking, all right, we're a bar. And even though comedy brings out an audience, what's the risk-to-reward ratio? So that's why I'm a little bit worried that some of these bars that normally did stand-up might think to themselves, ah, uh, you know what? And until things really clear up, we're just going to stick to TVs on and, and people drinks and taking the money in the jukebox for entertainment. Yeah, it's going to be a bit before we start doing karaoke again and stand up again and, and bands or whatever other things they may do. That's just a prediction. Hopefully, I'm wrong. I, I would love it if everything just went away tomorrow, but we all know that's not how viruses work. Nope, <laughs> nope. And there still hasn't been a second wave, and we all, and that's notoriously going to happen. We were told a second wave would happen in March. I I don't think we ever truly got to the first wave. Although Chicago's done way better than a lot of parts of the country. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, so who knows? I mean. December or January, if there's a second wave again, that might be a restart for some people. So, everyone, just just wear the mask. You could you could get your own cool mask. You could do whatever you need to do. Exactly. So people in Chicago have been good about it, so I'm not really worried about ourselves as a city. Just and if you go to a party, just keep your distance a little bit. You know. Right. You know, if, unless you unless you think you're going to close the deal, <laughs> right? Not breathing everyone. 
It's not worth it unless you go close and unless you go get make something happen for real, man. And think about these people out here who, uh, you know, who who uh, their living, uh, you know, uh, is dependent on us opening up our society again. You know, yeah, it's all temporary. Just until we get things back and and, and things get closer and closer, I just tell people like, look, you want to go back to concerts again? You got it. You got to follow these protocols for now. Right. You got it. I mean, it's. Right. I want to go to concerts. I want to go to. I want to go to games. I want to. I want to see comics like you, man. It, you know, Chicago got one of the best comedic, you know, comic scenes in the country, man. It, it sucks to not have, you know, those options to, you know, to go out on a on a Friday or Saturday night or whatever, you know. Definitely, definitely, I agree, man. So I think everyone just sit tight. It's a few more months versus right. what could be another year. I feel like every time we take a step back, you're adding to the, you know, it's like, hey, you come home from school, get your homework done right away. You got the rest of the day. <laughs> that's a good dad speaking there <laughs> good dad speech right yeah, right right well thanks joe man you know uh we'll uh we'll get up soon man go wish the best for the cubs definitely you know i said i'm a Sox fan but my mom loves the cubs so i always have some i never want the cubs to to do bad i would say just you know yeah i'm, I'm, I'm matured i'm a cubs fan I don't. I mean, I'm, I'm not rooting. I don't root against the White Sox anymore. That's what I tell people. Like, I don't. If the, I've got friends who are Sox fans, if they're happy, great. But like, you know, I'm a Cubs fan, but I don't. I don't hate the White Sox. Like, right. you know, obviously when I was younger, I was uh, a jerk. Like, <laughs> I get a little older, I just I, I tell people I'm like, look, you don't have to root for them, but you don't need to go out of your way to root against them. That's, right. My whole thing. My whole thing. Even when I was young, it was like. Neither of these teams have succeeded enough to feel superior no. <laughs> on one side or the other. So it's like, like this is you know, the second year that we've both been in the postseason. So know, just enjoy what you can from your team, and you know, if we if we see the other team along the way, then you know you you can say what you want to say then. But you know, it, it it'll be it'll be kind of crazy if if we finally get that red line series and it happens in Arlington, Texas. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, I've been thinking about that. I don't want that to happen in the year 2020. Yeah. The Red Line Series. I just think we need a different world for, to handle that. I'm worried about the destruction from either side if they lose. You know, I'm, yeah. not, I'm just worried. I just know how Cubs fans and Sox fans can be. And I know it's been a while since they've been at each other's throats. But I remember back in the day, like seeing people fight over Cubs Sox stuff. Oh yeah, that's, that's obviously simmered down a lot over the last like six, seven, eight years. But part of me is just like, uh, I get, I don't want it to happen. Where because there's gonna be families being ripped apart, friendships are never gonna be repaired. It's I just not right now. And twenty no, no. is already too much of a dividing year. Let's not Chicago. We've we've taken unfair guff from the from what the White House and from the media. Right. And I I don't want anything else tearing us apart. Let's 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 wait a few years. Yeah. Twenty twenty five. <laughs> if there's you know some normalcy back on the planet, then we could face off on a red line series. Yeah, but it, it could happen though. In in it could, could happen in the good. next couple years. It could happen. This is it look as good of a shot as this ever been. But yeah. but like you say, twenty twenty. Yeah, maybe we could hold off for twenty twenty. Like wait, wait. <laughs> and and like we said earlier, this is the year of perspective, man. Don't don't let yourself. You no, know, don't just try to keep 
keep that negativity out of you as much as you can, man. Just, you know, whatever you're talking about, sports, politics, you know, just try to be a good person, try to be a better person uh, for yourself and for the people around you. That's what I say. But Joe, man, yeah, like I say, man, great time, man. Appreciate you. And, you know, good luck with uh, all your endeavors, man, going forward. Hey, thank you very much, Kyle. It's been a joy. All right, man.